1: Get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center! Perry! Score! Corey Perry! Well, oh, able to shake away from Solani. It's giving away to Solani!
2: All right, Ducks hockey is back, and uh, same feeling, Ducks lose. 5-2 <laughs> five, five loss to the <laughs>
3: Vegas Golden Knights. I want to preface that, it wasn't, I didn't feel like a 5-2 loss. I mean, Vegas, clearly the better team, but I felt like the Ducks showed a little bit of effort. Like, it wasn't It wasn't an awful game. It wasn't the worst way we could have started. Like, the first three minutes, you thought it was going to be 7 nothing. so... Wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, um, I think for I think me, for... it was it was fine. It was a bottom five team playing a top five team,
1: uh, and I'm, you know, what are you gonna do? Like, it just they didn't embarrass themselves, and there were a couple of little bright spots here and there, but overall, it kind of went the way you think it's gonna go.
3: Yeah, I mean, when you're facing what's I guess considered one of the uh, the better teams in you know the the Western Division, right? So that's just that's just kind of what you expect, right? And Vegas is is you know a powerhouse by any means. Over the last couple of seasons, they come in this year. They don't really lose any of the Ford Group, like a lot of people thought they were, and then they add Alex Petrangelo, right? Like they you know the rich get richer, it seems like, and you know we we've talked at at you know at nauseam about how Vegas really isn't an expansion team in terms of kind of the the players they got handed, but. You know, credit to them for being able to attract a free agent like Alex Petrangelo. And I guess that goes to, you know, the success that they've had since, you know, their inception, right? I mean, the, the first year, the, the storybook run to the Stanley Cup Finals and being able to you know, attract a player like Mark Stone in a trade and going out and getting Max Pacioretty and, and then grabbing Alex Petrangelo. Like, the, this is a team that's not messing about. You know, and they have one goal, clearly, and that's to get back to the Stanley Cup Finals. And, and, you know, they look good. They look like they have a good chance of doing that.
4: Yeah, I mean, they got two amazing defensemen in uh, Theodore and uh, now uh, Petrangelo.
3: You just have to they mention Theodore,
4: don't you? Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> and then two two amazing goalies. I don't think it'll probably stay that way, but they got two amazing goalies. Then they've got, uh, oh, yeah, Mark Stone. Oh, yeah, uh, Pacioretty. Oh, yeah, they got Ryan, uh uh uh, riley they got uh carlson who you, you could probably get a little bit better but i mean that's you're just going through the first like half of their lineup and it's insane how well in three years that team's able to do everything they're going to do so they're going to be a top team and uh, you know it's a tall order just coming in and especially since uh the ducks hadn't played it's a tough one anyways
3: yeah, you know we, we look at this projected lineup and you know a couple of days ago if, if you guys caught the podcast we kind of projected the opening night roster and we had a pretty good idea of most of the guys who were going to be there I think you know barring a couple guys. We didn't know Max Jones was on the IR at that point uh, but we relatively knew what the lines were going to be. I think the only surprise was that Max and Comtois drew in off the taxi squad back onto the line we saw him on in training camp with Steele and Terry and it ends up being, Sonny Milano, who draws out and is a healthy scratch for this game. The defense pairings are what we expected with Lindholm, Shattenkirk, Fowler, Manson, and Larson, and Hackenpah. And obviously, uh, I think we knew a, at least a day or two out that John Gibson was going to be the starter here. So, so no real surprise. But Max Jones on the IR with a lower body injury. Apparently, he's skated on and off this week. Uh, you know, When he comes back, Comtois gets off to an unreal start in this game. Uh, other than maybe drawing in for Isaac Lundstrom, Sonny Milano and Max Jones are gonna potentially have a tough spot to get into this lineup.
1: Yeah, I think uh I think for me that was kind of the thing that stood out is um you know Lundström was really the only left wing that you looked at that didn't that didn't look great and that who spot uh might be up for grabs a little bit um so you know it seems like there's going to be three guys for one spot with the taxi squad they're probably going to rotate I could see you know those three guys kind of running through uh you know kind of running through that spot as the year goes on we'll see I don't know
3: yeah they're all waiver exempt right so it it kind of at the end of the day you know those are the gonna be the guys that get sent down Milano if anything if he's not in the lineup is likely going to be a healthy scratch you know you don't want to send him down through waivers because there's probably a team out there that would take a chance on him so Linderstrom I think gets the chance to play with Getzlav. they must have liked what they saw from training camp and obviously you know come to draws in and has a great game I don't see him coming out at least anytime soon so if if max Jones or you know Trevor Zegers, whoever wants to jump in the lineup right now, I think they're all eagerly looking at Isaac Lindstrom's spot as, as a potential landing spot for them. And, you know, whether it's Jones or Zegers or whoever who comes up, I mean, being able to play on the left wing of, of Ryan Getzlaff is pretty enticing for anybody who ends up taking that spot.
4: Now, do you guys, do you guys really want Lindstrom there on the wing, on the top line, quote-unquote top line with Getzloff and Heinen on the side? I I thought that was odd to have him there in that position. Um, I would have much rather have a Milano in that situation. Someone that could maybe try and get a little bit more offense, or Lundstrom is not necessarily that offensive guy. He's defensively responsible, if you put him on the wing, usually it's the center who's got to be defensively responsible. So it just felt like counterproductive to put him on the wing when you could get somebody who might have a little bit more speed, a little bit offensive upside especially if you're going to play next to Getzloff, who, in my opinion, I thought looked really good this game. I thought he was engaged
3: and uh, making good passes and good plays. So, yeah you, yeah, you need somebody who can finish on that line. Um, I think that's one of the things we saw when Getzloff, Heinan, and Lindstrom were out there is you know defensively they were pretty good, um, utilized more of as a Ducks second line when Henry, Grakel, and Silverberg were the first line when you look at the minutes played tonight. But... Yeah, but I mean there is that no look pass by Getzlav that we'll get to, I think, in the second period where you know Isaac Linderstrom (laughs) it it was a little bit in front of him, but he really didn't get enough on it to corral it and be able to get a shot off. And you would think at that point, you know, maybe if a Sonny Milano was there or just kind of a better finisher, a more offensive minded player than Linderstrom, maybe that's in the back of the net or you get a a better quality scoring chance, at least a shot on target. So, you know, I don't want to make any predictions for Saturday. But if Milano draws in, I think it's a straight swap for Lundestrom because we saw Heinen skate with Getzlaff and... Or sorry, we saw Milano skate with Getzlaff and Heinen earlier on in camp, so it just seems like a, an easy landing spot for Milano back in the lineup. is just a straight swap for Lundestrom because he's waiver-exempt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think having Lundstrom and Heinen together on Getzi's wing is a little redundant because I think they're both you know, I think putting Lunderstrom with Getze isn't a terrible idea, you know, because he could just kind of run around, go to the clock, do it on the forecheck, things like that. You know, you don't really want Getze necessarily in too much on the forecheck since it's going to take him six years to get <laughs> caught up. So, you know, I don't mind that part of it. And I think Heinen, I think the only issue with that line was him and Heinen were kind of doing the same thing. I think if you do, like you guys said, put someone with a little bit more offensive upside um, and a little bit more speed, I think you're in a good spot to maybe capitalize a little bit more on Getzloff. And to be honest, I thought Getzloff looked better tonight than I was expecting him to. Um, but, you know. Uh, Six I years think- to get back
3: on defense and three drop passes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think you might have expected him to be, uh, among everybody, so, a little bit slower out of the gate. Um and, and I and I think he looked pretty good. Like I, I can't complain with his performance. I, I think all in all it was a shaky performance from a lot of guys tonight. Obviously, you know, Maxim Comfortable tops the list of guys who stood out. Uh, but it, it's kinda what you can expect from a first game back after what, you know, almost Must. eleven months, ten or eleven months for the ducks. Um and, and you get a limited training camp and you gotta kind of work everybody back into to playing shape and, and getting used to playing with each other again. So I mean, it is what you can expect. We'll, we'll get into the game here and, and start breaking it down. Obviously, you know, first period started, I don't want to say the way we expected it, but you know, you knew Vegas was going to come out hot, and this was going to be a tough game for the Ducks, and two goals in less than you know two minutes and 30 seconds for Vegas with Marsha Show uh, sniping it past Gibson, a great shot, and then Nosek cleans up uh, a, a pass from behind the net, and he's kind of left wide open, and, and bats one past Gibson. Not really much Gibby can do on both of these uh both of them are kind of poor defensive plays a little bit. Nobody really closed down on Marsha's show, and then there's no excuse for leaving Thomas Nosek wide open in front of the net on there. So, uh, I mean, not the, not the best way to, to start the game. I think when we were all watching this, you see the Ducks go down 2-0, 2 minutes and 30 seconds. I think, Jason, it was probably you who tweeted that out on our on our Twitter account. Oh, oh yeah, no, both your of them, 1-2 <laughs> to two minutes, 2-3 uh, yeah. to three minutes. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> <laughs> me, Disappointing shit. start for sure, but, I mean, hey, it's it's Vegas. What do you expect?
4: Yeah, I mean, that, that's rust, and, uh, you know, it was it, neither team looked amazing And probably the first five to ten minutes of that game. Um, I think that the Ducks handed them some glorious opportunities, and at least on the offensive side, Vegas looked good. Uh, that first one's a snipe by Marsha Salt, and then the second one, it was a weird one where it was a little bit of, you know, hitting into the boards and Reeves throws it in it like goes in between where Gibby's trying to like cut off the pass and where the post is and the guys left kind of wide open so it's a little bit of defensive lapse just once again just not being sharp and when you're not sharp and it's against this Vegas team even it's the fourth line like that they'll come back and kind of bite you in the butt a little bit. So they they did on those first two, and it, it didn't look pretty. I didn't have high hopes for this game. Uh, fortunately, they kind of figured things out moving forward. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the sharpest start I would have uh, expected.
3: <laughs> Steven, what were you thinking a couple of minutes in there when it's 2 nothing Vegas? Because I know you were tweeting a little bit, too.
1: I just, you know, I think for me it's one of those things where it's a very clear example of a talent discrepancy. You know, I think um, the thing that coaching allows you to do and a system allows you to do is, you know, make the sum greater than the whole. And early in that game when everybody's still trying to get it going and trying to find their rhythm again, you have a team that's really good versus a team that's not. And so what you have is, you know, a fourth line in Vegas that's played together for a couple of years now. Those guys keep playing together. You know, I think they said on the broadcast, No six scored the first goal in Vegas history. So like, you know, they've all been there for a while. So I think, you know, what you're seeing is a mix of chemistry and just a talent discrepancy. You know, I don't think the Ducks have anybody even close to patcheretti or Stone, like, you know, talent wise. And so, you know, the fact that that, you know, having two guys like that really helps the rest of the roster f- slot into places they're supposed to be. And you just have a very smooth, you know, four lines. Yep. So, I yep. mean, you know, what you saw is a team that it hadn't
3: played in 10 months and they looked like it. And that happens, you know. Yep. I think when you look at the two pairings mm-hmm. that were on the ice uh, for the goals, too, is Lindholm and Shattenkirk on the second one i believe and then larson and and hockham on the first one two new pairings for the ducks uh guys that have really only played together a couple of times right so you know they're feeling things out trying to get used to playing together trying to get you know just feeling out the game for the first two minutes and you've got you know a couple lines like you said that show line has been together for a long time that fourth line for vegas has been together for a long time and you know you're bearing down against one of the best teams in the West that you know has had things going for a long time here and and that's kind of your first test. and you know it, it, you, you saw kind of the rust and and the inexperience of of those pairings together in that first little bit there. you know they they did kind of get it together, and, and I think Elpatratti you know, almost made it three nothing, and it was pretty close to being kind of a barn burner right off the bat. But <laughs> the ducks kind of calmed down for a bit. Steele found Terry in front of the net. It was the Ducks' kind of first big chance of the game, and he just missed, but not too much longer after that. The Ducks get one goal back, and of course, we've already talked about him a little bit here, but it's Maxime Comtois, and Steele falls up the pass to Terry that got missed, finds Comtois from behind the net, and you know they cut the lead down to 2-1, to, two to one, but it's nice to see this line getting going because honestly, when I looked at the lineup to start the game, this was kind of the line I was most intrigued to see, and if they were going to gel, Quickly, And if they're going to get going together, we've seen steel with Terry before, but, you know, this is kind of the year where come needs to have a breakout. And it's nice that, you know, they're paying dividends playing together this early on. Yeah. And,
4: and come to he likes that first game of the season, whatever it is between uh, his very first game where he scored was it like six seconds in it's his first shift against San Jose. Uh, and then this, uh, this one, he gets uh, this first one and you, know, you were talking about, you know, hey, new uh, defensive lineups. Uh, that was Peccioretti out there with McNabb, and uh, both of them kind of start looking left and right as Steele ends up passing it right out and uh, was able to, to bury it on it. So it was good to see someone go into the, the center, uh, you know, the front of the net, the slot there. Uh, I felt the Ducks did that on occasion much better this game than I and I can remember last season where they were a little bit more aggressive in, in certain instances to get to the front of the net, and I think they kind of took advantage of it. And they even kind of called on the broadcast the kid line. Uh, I don't think it's quite like the kid line of the Getzloff and Perry and Penner type kid line, but I think uh, the new NHL type of uh, kid line might work out hopefully a little little bit better. So it was nice to see, especially uh, come all getting that goal.
1: Yeah, it's nice to see those three gaps, a little bit of uh, chemistry together. I think the other thing that you see with that is, you know, it's three pieces that fit real well together. Um, you know, they don't, none of them really play the same game. You know, Steele is your typical 200 foot center. He can make good passes. He can see the game. He's a good enough skater. Uh, he's not the biggest guy, but that doesn't matter as much now as it used to, you know, maybe four or five years ago. Um, Troy Terry is a, center wing hybrid kind of thing i think he's gonna probably stay on the the rest of his career but i think having played center earlier in his career he's got a a good feel for the game He sees the ice really well uh he looked a little bit more comfortable this game i thought was nice he was looked like he was willing to try to make plays try to make things happen and then comb just a straight line skater man but it matters you know he's got good size he doesn't seem to mind getting in to in and around the net and just make things simple. You know, I uh, honestly, after that first goal, the thing that I was kind of wondering is if he can be kind of David Perani as we get farther into his career, because, you know, if he can do that and just do all the little simple things, he can play with a playmaker and have a successful career, because I don't think Comtois is going to create a lot of goals for himself, Mm -hmm. but I think he's going to be able to capitalize if he develops, you know, I don't want to put too much of the cart in front of the horse, but if he develops, I do think there's a very good chance uh, that he can put up a good number of goals every season just based on doing the little things that you need to do. You know, I tweeted it out. like, "It's Clichés become clichés for a reason. Going to the net and good things happen is true. We see it every year. The problem is, is when that's all that your offense is, you're screwed. And
4: he's got he's got a scoring touch and and if someone if someone can find it to him or get him in that area and Steele was that first one, Gessloff was the second one. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, if he's got that finishing touch to it, then that's all you kind of need I think at this point for the Ducks, that's what they want him to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he looked um he looked under control, you know, even last year when he played a couple games, he didn't look I don't know if he wasn't comfortable in his body sure. or playing up jitters, you know, but he looked much more under control, but he was still skating hard. He was still being physical. Um, I, I thought that line looked really good, and I think they looked good enough to kind of cover for the fact that the Henry line
3: looked terrible. Yeah, but the, the <laughs> one thing I've always noticed about Maxim Comtois dating back to, to his time in the QMJHL is he's just a smart player. Positioning-wise, he's kind of always in the right position. He's got a good enough shot that he can kind of surprise a goaltender. Gets some pretty good power behind it. But for me, you know, I like him with steel. I would like to see more of it. He just seems to be a, the type of player you want to put with a premier playmaker like a Getzlaff or eventually a Trevor Zegras. Uh, yeah, you know, we've we've talked about Jacob Perot <laughs> and a, that potential of pairing a pure sniper like him with Trevor Zegras and. You know, I think a good compliment for a lot future line like that is a player like Maxim Komtsev, like like you said Stephen who does kind of everything. You know, he doesn't he doesn't do anything really spectacular, but goes to the net hard. Do you look at both of his goals tonight? He he's kind of right sniffing around the the red line and, and right in front of the in the crease in front of the, the net minder. Like he is just one of those guys who finds a way to get the puck in the back of the net. Might not be the prettiest goal, But he has the capability to do that. We've seen that from him before. He can, you know, surprise you with a move here or there, with some flashiness here or there. But he's just one of those guys you want to have on your team. And you you look at the second goal here. We talk about him being kind of a a net front presence and, and driving to the net. He's just waiting at the back post for about, you know, 10-15 10-15 seconds here for Getzlaff to kind of dig the puck out from the back of the net, and Getzlaff's a you know a premier playmaker still in this league. And you give him you know enough space to find a player who's wide open like that, and he finds Maxim Kuntowa. And, and like we said before, Comtois has enough finishing ability to put that puck in the back of the net. And you know, Comtois is a thing for first, first games of the season. You know, we, we you look at his <laughs> debut where he scored a few minutes into that one and he's got two in the first game of the season here. You know, now we can only hope that he keeps it up for the rest of the year. But nice to nice to see him get off the mark with, with two early ones. Yeah,
4: yeah, and you were you were a little like, like I guess I you was happy it was Comtois who was there because if you if you insert Raquel here, little snake bitten about the only other person I might have thought would have you know, closed that deal the way that Comtois did, where it was just like off the tip of the glove and just into the net, is like Silverberg would probably be that lucky. And it feels like Comtois is not necessarily lucky, but just he has that, that little bit that just... Helps it go in where, like Raquel, it went right into the glove, and all of a sudden it's a highlight save for um, Leonard versus a, a goal for Comtois. So, uh, you know, we're we're all happy, absolutely, for, for Comtois. And it was just, it's like, a, I was just thinking when he shot that in and how close it came to being a save. And I'm like, oh, it's like there's one or two people on the Ducks that I think might have made that. Everyone else, that's going right in the glove.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I think, um, Control is really interesting to me because I do think there's a very natural ease um, you can see it really easily, right? Putting him with Zegris and how that that works. But I, I do think there's something to the idea of him being a guy on a, a middle six line with those other two, because I don't think any of the other two guys on that line are gonna play with Zegris. Um, you know, and so I think the idea of that being a line and him being a guy who, you know, Like we said, like, he's good around the net. He has uh, some poise to his game, you know. There are a lot of guys at that age who it hits them in the skate and they're freaking out, you know. He takes it off the skate and puts it away. He doesn't overthink anything. He doesn't try to do too much. And I think that, for me, I I do think that's a skill because I do do think that takes a level of awareness, uh, you know, to kind of know just to do it um you know like eddie said he finds open ice you know he knows where to be he's gonna just be you know you know for the you could probably heat map his his uh positioning for most of his career and it's going to be within 10 feet of the net the entire
3: time (laughs) how much do we attribute uh maxim come to us start to you know an off season and, and 10 months of development or his flow Oh, that was so nice. Everybody's rocking <laughs> so the flow. Sam Steele had it too. Dude,
1: I'm starting
4: I'm
3: is... trying, man.
1: Dude Duncan Eddie, Keith you looked like a redneck yesterday in that game, dude. <laughs> Duncan Keith. <Dude, he>
4: totally... <laughs> <laughs> uh he, he he looked like uh, someone that should be on a register. It was just that
3: it was yeah, he had like the stash going the flow out there and I'm like, Who the hell is this guy? Oh, it's Keith. That's <laughs> what happens when you can't get go get a regular haircut every now and then. Uh, you you yeah. just got to go, gotta go take with the Octopus, your... right? So, <laughs> so, we're seeing a lot of people rock it. Um, yeah, we'll finish off the, the first period there. Obviously, 2 2 after the first. Ducks kind of got back into the game, obviously, after those uh, first three minutes. Shots were 12 7 Vegas. It, it felt like after. The game was tied at two that both teams kind of took their foot off the gas and said, okay, you know what, this game's a little bit too wide open. It's too much of a barn burner to to really keep this up here. Otherwise, it's going to finish, you know, eight to seven. Um, So, you know, they they kind of took their foot off the gas. And and for most of the second period, it it was a bit of a chess match. Teams kind of figuring out, you know, who's going to take the next move, who's going to you know ramp up the pressure here. Ducks got a good chance from Derek Grant early in the first two, but Robin Lehner was great this game. I think uh, he is making the case that uh, Mark Andre Fleury is not going to start too many games this year. He made a couple really good games in this one, but uh, you know, elite number one seed Derek Grant got denied getting his first goal of the season early on. Uh, but man, yeah, Robin Lehner already looking like he's going to carry Vegas to a pretty high finish in the, the West Division. I
4: didn't. I thought he was all right. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think he was all that great. Um, Both of the goals that went on on him, obviously from Comtois, they both kind of hit him a little bit, and he almost had it. Um, But there were a couple where, like, shots came through, and he didn't see it, and it just happened to hit him. Now, call that luck. Call that Robin Lehner. Um, But he didn't seem as poised, but I also didn't think the Vegas defense, much like the Ducks defense, I don't think they were quite in sync. Like, they didn't. They quite hit it. Um, they kind of fell into a groove a little bit in that second period where almost nothing happened. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I still think that that goaltending thing is kind of up for debate. I think they'll kind of go back and forth between Leonard and Flurry, And especially since they're kind of close to the cap, I expect one of them to go, and I expect it to probably be Fleury, to tell you the truth.
1: <clears throat> yeah, no, Fleury's... Uh... I don't think it's a guarantee that he finishes this season somewhere else, but I think it's at least 50-50 odds that he's not on this team at the end of the season. Um, you know, I think the second period looked like a second period early in the season. You know, it got a little bit loose. It got a bit of you know, whatever. But, like, there's less nerves. People have, you know, they've had it all to kind of get an idea of it. Then you have the coach yelling at you for 15 minutes about how the hell did that happen? Uh, you know, so it was good. I think, you know, if, if you told anybody before the game that they were going to finish the second period tied two up, I, I don't think anybody's upset. Everybody's fine with that. You know,
4: was it the second period where Gibby had that windmill of a oh, save yeah. that just,
3: that, that just I knew you so would, happy. you would have to jump the gun and get to that. <laughs> oh, that Sorry.
2: Before we get to that... There's nothing else to talk about. Before no we get to that, I have to bring something up
3: again, because we brought this up on the last show. Everybody wants to make a comment about where I'm recording the show every time we do this, show. Uh,
4: we can't see you, so we have no idea. Are you in a dungeon I'm again? in a
3: different spot, so of course it came In right a here. different dungeon? A hundred
1: percent. Somebody in the chat said it looks like he's in a bathroom, and I think it's either that or he's doing it from inside a yacht. Oh,
3: inside a oh, yacht. Oh, no, Eddie's not that rich. And he's in <laughs> yeah, Canada. Not happening. Um, so it's not a yacht.
1: Right. <laughs> Unless you're on a beach.
3: I had to lake. bring it up because it, it, yeah. it's, always, it's always something. that It's a running gag on the show. If you're new to the show, this is how this happens every time. But it's, I, I do it to myself because yep. I record in a new place every time. I keep the, I keep the meme running. So let's, let's, let's get yeah. to the windmill save so we can just complete move on. So, so John, John Gibson, despite the scoreline, great tonight. I felt like he was good. There was a couple yes. iffy plays here and there. Um, this was save of the game. For me, I, he oh, hot dogged it a little bit. So let's be honest, God. but
0: yes, it was a
3: good because save. You know, the or... door I don't even hot The only the only thing that I would say maybe hot
4: dogged is the fact he never even looked at the puck into his glove. That's so just just the fact he did it, grab it, and he's looking down as he brings the glove down. Maybe that's a little bit of hot dogging because usually you'll kind of follow the the puck into the glove. But my god, that was just so good. The dude is wide open in the high slot and he just nabs it. That's that's why you want to play goalie, just to take it away from people. Yeah, oh, so uh, good.
1: That's the thing, you know. I, I, I think, you know, if you ask John Gibson, you know, at the end of the night, like yeah, I mean, you know, he let in a soft one there uh, on the what is that, the third goal? It was yeah, the fourth goal,
2: patch Yeah, the fourth
1: one. That's right. I stepped away for ten seconds and missed the third <laughs> goal. Uh, you know, but he's but he's even deep in the crease. That, that's the stuff that he's capable of. He is, you know, that high end goaltender that can make those big saves. You know, like any goalie can get hot for a year or a couple of months or whatever. But Gibby's the kind of quality of goaltender that he can be a top ten goaltender every year, almost like clockwork. You know, and I think getting a better team in front of them is obviously going to take a lot of pressure off of them. Um, You know, but even just these, this team right now learning more of Aiken's system, you know, I'm really excited to see what happens in the next game because I want to see what kind of adjustments they make. I want to see what he does with the lines. Um, And I think you know, that we're you know, I said this on the last show, but like I think we're going to learn a lot about what we think of Dallas Aikens very quickly, and what kind of system he's really going to run, you know? Because first game in, it is what it is. So, yeah,
4: they they, they got to clean up in front. I think there's just too many chances in the middle, and I, I don't know if it's necessarily the the style that Aikens does, or if it's literally the personnel or the talent level they have on defense um but they're gonna give up seven to eight quality chances a period and if they're lucky they'll get four to five chances uh, on the offensive zone gibby is going to be the one who's going to probably kind of lessen that seven to eight blow i mean like pull it back down where he's going to make three to four saves he has no business making in any sort of game uh, hopefully any period so We'll see where it is, but they, they definitely got to pick up what they're doing on defense because you, you can't leave Theodore open on that. You'll see the Mark Stone goal after that. It's just the front of the net has to be guarded way better than what they did, at least in this game. You can call it rust or whatever, but, you know, hopefully it's not a sign of things to come because give so good. He should be able to, to, to bail his team out if he's got good enough defense.
3: Yeah, the, the chat's pretty split, uh, but the the kind of majority answer here is that Gibby had some good moments and he had some bad moments, and I I think I'd probably subscribe to that theory too. I I think he was hung out to dry a few times tonight, probably more than a few times, uh, but you know there were a few moments where he looked a bit rusty. But I mean we're used to that from John Gibson at this point, and I I think. You know, we'll see him ramp up the play. This was a good first game for me from John Gibson because I think we saw some good moments. And, you know, as he kind of works into to the season and kind of gets comfortable, I think, or at least I hope, we're going to see some, uh, some of these mistakes kind of ease out. But, you know.
1: I just,
4: I, I got I to gotta ask real quick, who in chat here thinks uh, Gibby looked bad on what goals other than Pacioretty? Pacioretty probably wants back, but once again, he was left wide open on the wing with a possible pass to the center and is an elite goal scorer.
1: Yeah, he might like to have that one back.
4: Other than that, there were three other goals who he had almost no
1: chance on. That was the point that I wanted to make is there is a degree <laughs> to that. It is Pacioretty who scored the goal. If he gives yeah. up that goal to, you know, Ryan Reeves, then maybe I feel like be <laughs> about it. Carrier, like, he's a thirty-goal scorer, man. Like he, that's what he does. Like it's a soft goal. You don't go pick, get me wrong. Yeah, you go goals that back, but these are also the kind of goals that goal scorers get. Like you don't get to thirty goals in a season by making them all perfect top shelf. You know, that's just not how it works. First goal was perfect, top shelf. Second
4: one was kind of maybe just a fluky play, but once again, poor defense in front. Third one was uh, – who was, who was the third one? Mark Stone. Yeah,
3: I mean, we might as well get to Mark that Stone. too. Mark Stone, yeah,
4: from that. behind the net. Yeah, there he goes. There's that one, and then patch already maybe wants back.
3: I yeah, I, the Mark Stone one is 50-50 for me. I, I think Gibby will look at that and say probably could have reacted a little bit quicker in terms of kind of looking and, and scanning who's in front of me was a little bit focused on the play behind the net, but you can't really blame him for that. Yeah. Was... Wide-open guy in the, exactly. the low slot. Was, just I mean, I'm not crushed saying a that's, that's Mark Stone. only John Gibson's fault. I don't think it is. I mean, you left that... Mark Stone no, wide no, no, open, no, no. and it was that's... a great pass. Uh, but I'm sure Gibby's going to look at that and say, you know, I prob- I could have got that. You know, there's a chance I, I could have done a little bit better, moved a little bit quicker, and I could have got a piece of that. Quite honestly, if he moved slower, he probably would have had a
4: better chance. I think he, he moved right up against that post so hard. And then by the time he hit yeah. the post, the pass goes out to the slot. And then he's like trying to push off of a post. And you're not going to get a lot of push off off of that. So
1: yeah, he his, moved was, a little bit slower, <laughs>
4: to be honest.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're right. I do think it's he compressed so quickly when he hit that pole. Because if you look, his, his legs are just a little narrow. You know, if his legs are even a little bit more of a standard, uh, what do you call it, like down on the ground ceiling uh, yeah. at all at the bottom, like, I don't think that, you know, he doesn't go in. Yeah, he,
4: he was he was protecting a wraparound or an in-tight play, and uh, he's got to assume that his defensemen are going to grab people further out, or if it goes out to the center, he's got time to recover from it. But no one picked up Mark Stone, and it's a quick shot, and now all of a sudden he's compressed, and he's got to try and kick out to the far post.
1: It's just, yeah. I mean, I can't blame Gibby on that. That's the goalie. In me, sorry, feet out to the side. You know what I mean? So Mark Stone is in a perfect spot to make a perfect save. Uh, t- sorry, in a perfect spot to make a perfect shot. <laughs> Could have made a save. You know, Gibby. Maybe you want to say, like I said, it's a little bit of a technical issue as far as how narrow his legs are. But you know, you watch that GIF and it's like I'm not sure why everybody is focused on one guy and they decided the guy to leave empty was Mark Stone. Two guys chasing him below the goal line, no one guarding Mark Stone. Literally,
4: the captain, the, the, the guy who's going to probably score the goal, you probably focus on that dude.
3: Yeah. So if there's one guy you want to mark on Vegas at all times, it's probably. Mark Stone. Yeah. Yeah,
4: just say it. Just throwing it, it out for- there. <laughs> we
3: uh, mark- we, mark- we mark- got to <laughs> get to this no look backhand pass by Getzloff. Because I think people aren't hybrided enough, up enough. Like, it was a it was a great pass. I mean, we expect it from Getzlaff at this point, but the the, the guy's never not going to be able to pass the puck. Like, he'll regress in other areas, but he'll always be able to pull out, you know, have the ability to pull out a pass like this in the game. And we had talked about it before we got into the breakdown here that, you know, if it was a, maybe a bit of a better finisher other than Isaac Linderstrom, you, you know, you've got a quality shot on target here, are the puck's in the back of the net, but, man... Ryan Getzlaf never, never disappoints. You know, he's always got one of these up his sleeve.
4: Yeah, did anyone else like just get kind of like a real quick vision of what Zigras does when he made that pass? Like he made that pass, and I'm like, oh, I've seen that World World Junior Championships. I've seen that pass where he's just like just throwing it behind. Like you just the eyes just have it, and it's like, all right, I saw it, but I'm gonna do misdirection. Here it goes, and then it's just a great pass. So. Um That's why I have so much, uh, you know, not to take away from that pass from Gesloff. That's why i's, I really am excited to see what Zegers is going to do, because I feel that they have the same vision, the same passing ability. Uh, and it's otherworldly. And it's just having an, an ultra awareness and a deception for the other team. The other team just they know you looked at it. But then you just all of a sudden go like, eh, I'm not going to do it. And then they kind of like, all right, well, what's he going to do now? And then he makes the pass that you were just like, oh, I knew he was going to do that. And then he just makes that pass. Uh, and it's, it's just so much fun to watch. And, yeah, still got it. Still going to be so much fun to watch. And that's why I think he's going to be, once again, up there, points for the docs. I know everyone says he's going to you know, be that great. And he was only one point behind uh, Henrique for the team lead last season, so I think he's going to do it again.
3: <laughs> you know, the the one thing yeah. I, th- I think you see from the games like this, the one thing I was thinking this whole game is, you know, the, the Ducks are probably going to lose this game, but how much less disappointing would it have been to see Trevor Zegras play in the Ducks uniform in Game One? Like that in itself would have been enough for me. To, to get enjoyment out of the game no matter what. Uh, you know, obviously we're happy <laughs> that Ducks hockey is back, but it's roughly the same lineup as last year, and I think, you know, if there's one guy you wanted to have a really good game, it was Maxim Comtois. He did because we didn't see a lot of him last year. He spent most of the time in, in San Diego. But man, that was the one thing I kept kinda of think it back to in this game is man I wish Trevor Zegras was playing in this game just even if he didn't have a great game, just to see him play in a ducks uniform and get a chance to play in the NHL because all the hype built up from the World Junior Championship is kinda of deflated with him, you know, getting some preseason games with San Diego. Yeah, I gotta be honest, I'm kind of happy about that.
1: I you know, like don't get me wrong, right? Like I wanna see him play. So <laughs> I didn't tell. Like, Uh, as you're saying, like, he makes really sneaky passes. You know, I think the interesting thing that you're saying, Jay, is kind of comparing him to Getzy. And it's interesting because he's so much smaller than Getzy. You know, Getzy really uses his frame to facilitate his passing ability and to put himself in positions. And Zegers doesn't have that ability. You know, even if he does put on 20 more pounds, like, he's still going to be a slight guy. And so, you know, what he's going to be able to do is be a little bit more crafty. You know, the number of times you see him make a pass... From highlights and stuff from uh, when he was at, uh, where do you go? He went one of the bosses. Boston. B-U I don't Boston. Know, <laughs> B-U for Boston. Colleges in Boston that all play hockey. But, you know, I mean, he does a lot of like his wrists get real tight and real close to his body when he's making these stark angle passes. And I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be exciting. But I, I am glad that he wasn't in this game because I, I think it was good for these other guys to get a chance to kind of pop and to get a chance to get a run without it kind of being about zebras um yeah and they yeah
4: Yeah, and they'd also mentioned like last season they kind of like they they wanted to put in a whole bunch of you know young players and just see where they all kind of fish themselves out and this year they kind of made the decision that we're not really going to do that. you got to earn it. At least that's what they said in the the uh, broadcast. It was, you got to earn it. It's not going to be like last season where we're going to try to figure out who's worth keeping and who's not. We know what we have, and we know what's coming through the pipeline, so they're not going to necessarily rush it. And at this point, I'd hate to waste Zegers' first year on trying to have him play more than seven games. I mean, it'd be great if he played this first game, but, I mean, even that is just, hey, let's get let's get everyone's feet wet just a little bit and see where this all kind of pans out. Maybe he comes in and plays a game here or there, but let's not burn that first year on this season. Let's get him a little bit more season, and especially getting... I would think at some point, put him in the AHL, get him some games in once that whole season starts going. Cause that's a guy who just wants to play and win. And he's not going to work on a taxi squad and burning that first year of the contract doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In my opinion, as much, I would love to see him just do dipsy doodle passes all over the place. So,
3: yeah, no, I, I agree with the move. And, and I think it was a <laughs> smart move for the ducks not to play him today because he's had you know, one practice, I think he had one practice or you know, a couple couple times on the ice with the team since coming over from the Will Juniors and having to quarantine. So it makes sense. I just think you know, we're missing a little bit of excitement for a excitement. new season, right? Like, that's that's the thing for me as you go in and we've seen all these guys before, and you know, you've got a lot of teams out there. You know, Rangers fans, I'm sure, weren't happy with the outcome, but at the end of the game, you know, they got to see Alexis Lafreniere. And Igor Shesterkin didn't have a great game, Do but nothing. you know, the start of the season, yeah, Do nothing. But you know what I mean? You had that excitement in that game of you know, seeing a new face, a guy that's got a lot of hype around it, and not that it would have made a difference on the game. I think for me, I was just missing a bit of that excitement, but I completely agree with them taking their time with Ziggurat. You know, we talked about this on the last show, but the Ducks like to take their time with most of their prospects. I think Cam Fowler's been the only ex- exception of guys who haven't. Played in the AHL or played some at least a you know a season or a half a season in, in the AHL. I think uh, you know at some point we see Zegers up here. You know if the Ducks' offense is really struggling and, and he gets off to a good start in San Diego, he'll play his way onto this roster, right? That that at, at some point he's yeah. going to. And you know Stephen, you and, and me contributed on um, an, an article for the Hockey Writers, the roundtable discussion that we just put out uh, the other day that uh, fellow writer Derek Lee put out, and and we all kind of had our our say on how many games Trevor Zegers is going to play this year, and it was kind of all around the board because nobody really knows, right? You know, there was a couple answers that were, you know, anywhere from 5 to 20. I think somebody said, you know, 40-plus games. I think I was in in around... (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I was around 20 to 25, just uh, he'll make his way there at the later part of the season, but it, it really is... Kind of up to the coaching staff at this point, and we really don't know. But, you know, for me, what I feel is at some point, the Ducks' offense is going to be bad. We know that. And Trevor Zegers is just going to play his way onto this roster. He's going to leave them no choice that he's going to have to get a call up. And whether he sticks around and, and stays with the NHL roster will depend on how well he translates his game to the NHL level at that point in time.
1: Do
4: you really think they burn that first year of that contract on this season,
1: though? Oh. Is my thing with that, is I have a very hard time thinking that once he once he pop like once he makes that jump, I don't think he goes back down. Um, so that's why I kind of had him at about forty games because I figure he'll get a couple of weeks down, he'll come up. I I do want to say right now that everybody needs to prepare themselves for him to be on that taxi squad for two or three games once he comes up. I do not think they're going to throw him in game one.
4: No, but <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it, I, because I, what, he, he gets uh, seven games. Have you played over seven games? Then that's the first year of the ELC,
1: right? Yeah. I think it's six. six. I think seven is the line where it becomes the first mm-hmm. year. I think he has five or six games that he can play without burning it.
4: So I would think they would probably give it to him. And unless he absolutely blows it out, I don't think they'd go the rest of the way. Because if he doesn't blow it out, they're bringing him in because the the only reason they would, in my mind, they would bring him in other than giving him maybe just that little bit of experience is just – because the ducks are, aren't quite performing, they need a little bit more offense or creativity. Maybe put him in there and see what happens. But if, if by the fifth or sixth game he's not producing multiple goals or points or creating that much offense, then they just kind of bury him back in the AHL. Don't don't use that year of the contract. Wait till next year happens. They get a little bit more flexibility on the salary cap. And then move him in after that, and that's his first year. That's wh- that's where I would see, and um, where I would think it would make the most sense. Unless, like you said, he comes in, he plays six games, and he's got,
3: yeah, ten points. I mean, it's like, well, you
4: can't deny that. I mean, ready to play. He's wasting time in the AHL at that point.
3: Yeah, th- that's the only way I see him getting significant time with the Ducks this year. And the Ducks saying, yeah, okay, you know, we have to. Eating your ELC here because you, we need you on the team. Like you're producing at such a high level that we have no choice. Um, but we don't know, right? Like I, I think, I think if Zegers gets in here at this point, <laughs> what's wrong with Steven? Steven's dying. I Steve. know. Oh, I know he fell in the
4: fire. Oh, he's back. You all right? Steve? I'm sorry. So, I look like uh,
1: Pete Davidson in the chat, and I don't know what. You I about.
3: did. I did see that.
1: <laughs> oh, sorry.
3: A couple people said that. You don't know whether that's a compliment or not. I back in the chat. I'm sorry, I'm way off in the chat. I guess. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, <laughs> v- Um Yeah. Uh, I mean, if he if he plays his way under the <laughs> roster, they'll have no choice at that point. Um, it, it just you, know, you never know if the skill level. What is going to
4: translate. What do you guys think it is? He plays six. He plays six games. What's the point total? Or is it not really point total? Does he just look like he belongs?
3: I think he's getting, uh, like I I personally think his skill set will translate easily. I I think he's got the confidence up. He's put on a little bit of size. I I think when you look at the players who's have who've had success coming out of, you know, junior or the World Junior Championship or whatever, I think his skill set shows me that he'll he'll not step in and have, you know, 2 points per game in 6 games, but he can put up, you know, four or five points in, in that six-game stretch and, and make a case to stick around. I, You know, his favorite player growing up is Patrick Kane, and his skill set reminds me a lot of Patrick Kane. Does that mean I think he's going to be as good as Patrick Kane was in his prime? No. Yep. Patrick <laughs> Kane, like. First, well, but that's what he reminds first. me of. And, and, you know, you look at players with that dynamic skill set, and, and can they jump right into the NHL? Usually they can. And, you know, I, I have full confidence in Trevor Because When he gets a chance that first game, he's going to be ready to go. But we'll have to wait and see when that first game is going to be. Um, uh, good job, Steven.
1: <laughs> I just. What? Is that... <laughs> what? what? Do you guys. OK, never mind. It's something coming through the audio and it just. It tripped me up for a second.
3: All right, let's let's yeah. finish this. We gotta finish the breakdown here because we we've got we got. Yeah. We well, this is gonna happen all year where we get sidetracked about Trevor Zegras. It's bound to happen at some point because hey, we gotta we gotta talk about him as much as we can until he shows up. But uh, we talked about the ready goal a little bit here. Um, this is the one I think we can all agree on that you know yes it's it's Max Patcharadi, but John Gibson clearly wants this one back. You can see from the replay, he hangs his head. And, you know, he, this is one he should have had. Um, and, and this is a backbreaker for the Ducks. You know, the Gold Knights are pushing at this point in time, but this is a 4-2 lead now with nine minutes to go. This is a team who really doesn't give up many leads late in games. They're pretty good at closing out games, especially when you have a player like Mark Stone on your team. You just throw him out there for the last nine minutes of the game, and, and you're pretty much not going to concede ever again. So... Uh, this one this one hurt because I felt like the Ducks played a, a pretty good game. And when you look at the final score now, 5-2, uh, without watching the game, you would think the Ducks just got blown out.
0: There's no I team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all.
2: And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site will charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to wwhustle.com join, Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join.
1: Yeah, but the thing for me, like, I understand what you're saying, but I think the thing for me is, is like, that's, like, anybody who cares how the Ducks look is going to watch the game, because we're sadists, and we've just decided that this is our life, Unless, uh, you know, or mask is, I don't know. One of the four BDSM letters. I don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, I I think you look at that game and you go, yeah, there's an empty net goal. There are two goals. You know, even if you just look at the box score, I think you can see the way the game went. They get two early ones. The Ducks answer back. Nothing in the second. Early one in the third. Then another one. And now that just is what it is. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think there's any part of this game. Other than the third pair, uh, which was terrible, that you should be particularly upset about. Um, you know, everybody seems to be pretty pissed at Lundestrom, which is fine. Like, he didn't, you know, he didn't cover himself in Corey tonight. Um, but, you know, they lost to Vegas, man. Like, I just, the thing I think is when you look at this season, losing to Vegas is not going to be the thing that makes or breaks it for anybody.
4: No. And, you know, when I'm looking at, like, the, The entire game you know i I wasn't particularly impressed when you look at the the top two lines you have five or six forwards i was not impressed with the only one i was actually kind of semi impressed with was getzloff other than that I, i didn't think henrique raquel silverberg were all that impressive especially if you're kind of some people will consider them the top line especially if you're putting Lundstrom and Heinen with Gesloff, that's obviously got to be your second line at that point. So I didn't think the top line was all that good, but they are playing Vegas. And when they play Vegas, you're going to have your uh, Theodore, you're going to have uh, Petrangelo playing defense against those top two guys. That's why I felt the kid line looked better. And uh, even the fourth line looked good. Even um, uh, uh, Delorier almost had a, a goal there, you know, where he was, you know, at least At least they were kind of creating a little bit more of that offense. At least there was something kind of going on a little bit. The Ducks are going to struggle. They're going to give up more chances than they're going to get. Gibby hopefully kind of mellows that out, and hopefully that power play kind of of kicks in a little bit as in seasons past, and we get to some level of fourth best in our division. (laughs) And if we can shoot for fourth best, and I thought it was – a decent start, 10 months out, playing against a Vegas team that has high hopes and got literally the biggest free agent that could have been landed. Defensemen like Angelo don't come around often, and they've gone all out to get him, Theodore. I mean, they've got all the offense. So the Ducks did very well, you know, minus the first three minutes of any given period.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so when when you look at it at the end of the day, it's – I don't want to say and feel like a downer and say it's kind of what we expected, but, you know, you expected Vegas to come out strong and and be one of the top teams in the division, which they showed. And, you know, the Ducks showed some fight back, and and ultimately they just didn't have enough firepower and and maybe defensive sturdiness to stick around and, and, you know, really put up a fight in this game. Uh, You know, when it it mattered, Vegas came on in the third period and and won the game. Um, But I, I think... You know, building on this performance, and when you go into matchups against, you know, LA, San Jose, Arizona, Minnesota, I think that's where the games where performances like these could get you a win, and where the Ducks are going to get their points this season. And and maybe you know, mm-hmm. you up, you ramp up your performance, and and you take on a team like Colorado and St. Louis, and and you steal a point or a win here or there, and and ultimately, if the Ducks are going to be a playoff team this year, that's how they're going to get in. It's just being. Tough team to play against, and and you know picking up points against teams they really should be beating. Yeah, we got
4: to be the Tanya Hardings against all the Colorados uh, Harrigans, and just just make it happen. You know, there's there's no there's no wrong in this NHL anymore. I I,
3: I don't you even know where team. that. Uh... You don't get the no. I get it. All. I it's just don't American. know where. <laughs> How you got that? (laughs)
4: Well, that's the only way we're going to beat the good ones. To be fair... We're we're the Tanya Hardys of this division.
1: We do have Ghoulie, which is kind of like... uh, What is his name? Ghoulie? Something like that? Who? Who? What? Uh, Her boyfriend. Oh, oh, yeah. Who actually did it with the crowbar. So, I want to say... We we have have a Ghoulie. (laughs) 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 one, I think you guys, you know, we we set up a corner round for you right. Like, it's going to be Gibby and a competent power play. That is the only real way that this team is going to be legitimate. Yeah. Um, two, because I am getting yelled at because my large adult son Josh Manson did not play well tonight. (laughs) It was horrible. That separates Fowler, even Fowler, and Manson from the bottom line for me is that we have some proof of concept of them being effective. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Manson was great tonight, and I'm not going to sit here and say Manson's the number one defender. He's not. You know, but I think for some reason, when you have Fowler and Manson together, they kind of just bring out the worst in each other. And I don't understand why that is. So, (laughs) <laughs> it's true. That's why I at it. It's just funny because it's true. Either one of them needs to go, or they need to split them up. Which might not be the bad, the worst idea because I don't think you can run Hawkeye and, and uh, uh, Larson out there. And you just you can't put those guys out there. Yeah, it's too bad.
4: I mean, Hawkeye is big, and I I would probably That's put Hawkeye. As as your Josh Manson, and especially someone who wants to maybe play and doesn't quite know what to do, or is maybe a little bit younger and can kind of have a little bit more speed. And I like Manson, but I I can't see him as a top four. He's a top four on Anaheim because Anaheim sucks on defense now. And that's the only reason. Otherwise, if if Manson's on another team, I can only see him as a five or six. And he's a big guy, and that's one guy I want come playoff time. But if we're not in playoff time, then we're, what are we doing with him? I mean, we're just we're kind of wasting space at this point. All
3: right. Yep. I love him. <laughs> no, I like
4: oh can't. <laughs> <laughs> until until he, he does something different. I mean, he's, he's not the same player as he was two seasons ago when I was also, really impressed with him. By
1: the way, something that should be pointed out. Since uh, Evolving Wild has been... Tracking it, Josh Manson has one of the 20 best defensive seasons. Was that
3: with Lampus Lindholm?
1: Was that on NHL 21? The season that Lindholm went down, and he got the, uh, he got the one Norris vote. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Which I'll never. Oh. That was the season the, where he put the up points, right? Is it Charlie O'Connor? For who? What?
3: Charlie O'Connor is the athletic Philly guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did he give him his Nor- Yeah, uh, A Philly one. writer gave Josh dog. Manson a noise, Norse. Bro. That makes oh, sense. A what a shocker there. Um, all right, we're, we're nearing the end of the pod here. We had a couple things that we were going to kind of revisit from our last show, but we're, we're nearing the hour mark here. So uh, we talked about Pierre-Luc Dubois and the trade rumors on the last show. So if you want to kind of hear our thoughts, Pat was on that show too, about what it would take to get Pierre-Luc Dubois on the Ducks. You know where, where those kind of rumors come from. He asked for a trade, everything like that. Check out the last episode; we covered that in depth. Uh, the only thing, or just or just
4: watch Endgame. It cost everything.
3: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but just just to pretend you're
4: Thanos. It cost you everything.
3: Yeah. The only update we had there is that Torch confirmed that he wanted out today. He confirmed that he asked for a trade rumor, which we already knew, uh, or asked for uh, asked for a trade out. So. That's going to happen yeah. at some point. But apparently his preferred know. destination Especially is...
4: Especially if, if you're in any sports team in Ohio, you want to... Yeah.
3: Well, his preferred destination bon. is Montreal, which makes sense for him, right? <laughs> he's. Uh... Right. And by the way, it's great that the, uh, <laughs> the day
1: <laughs> that it comes out that he's asking for Nick Suzuki is the day after Nick Suzuki basically burst on a team and everyone's like, oh, this might be a real thing. Yeah. That was very- Yeah,
3: exactly. And then there was talk today on Twitter about would you trade Trevor Zegers for Pierre-Luc Dubois? Uh, oh. Yeah, not right now. Not where the Ducks are right now. If they were a playoff team and Pierre-Luc Dubois could get them into a Stanley Cup contending team, I think you think about it. But where the Ducks are right now, uh, you you just don't make that trade. I just don't think you 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 move a player like Zegers, who is part of your future in a couple of years for, you know, I know purely DuBois is not old. He's 22. It's just not a trade. I think you pursue no, no, at that, that point. Would you
4: Would you trade, well, how
3: about this? Would you trade Dryside uh, for that? Would I trade who? Drysdale? Uh, Drysdale, no. sorry. Now, look at the Ducks' defensive depth at this point in time. Like, they desperately needed a player like Jamie Drysdale. And again, you know, Perry Luc Dubois is a great player. And we talked about it uh, you know a ton on the last show. He's a number one yeah. center right now. He's a 50 to 60 point player right now. He could probably in his prime be a 60 to 70 point player who's a dominant, you know, modern day power forward. And, but uh, you know the Ducks are not a competitive team. And you know, bring in a player who's three years older than your top prospect and four years older huh. than Jamie Drysdale at this point. Really like to date you right now, but
1: it's just not the right time. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, yeah. the thing is, <laughs> like I said this on the last show, like I'd give up literally anything but Dreesdale and Zgris for, PL, uh, for Dubois. Because the thing is, is the reason I don't think it makes sense to give up Ziegris for Dubois is Zgris is your first center. Player. Either A, Eddie is right, and I refuse to believe this. Uh, isn't Everyone does. Uh, either Zegers isn't a center, or he is, and now you've got your size, scanner, skill center.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to be fair, Pierre-Luc Dubois has tons of skill; like he's a great player. But, but I don't think moving out Zegers to bring in Pierre-Luc Dubois and still be like, okay, well, now we definitely have another one center, but we don't know what else. Now
4: we'd have,
3: have a winger. To put- yeah. That- the purpose. We we got comments in the chat. Uh, Career Forever09 said, "You know, pierre to Dubois is a known quantity. We don't know what Zegers is yet." And and I, I and to some sense, I agree with that. You know, we could hope all day that Trevor Zegers is the next coming of Patrick Kane, but you know, the uh, Zegers ceiling might be what pierre Dubois is now, right? Like that, that's a pretty realistic ceiling for or you know a final landing point for Trevor Zegers is a sixty point number one center, a 60-point first-line player. It's just the timing of everything right now doesn't make yeah. sense for the Ducks to move a player like that for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, you know, I get it, and I, could, and I could see that side of the argument, but it wouldn't just be Trevor Zegers. It would be Trevor Zegers, what? a roster player, and a pick. Probably. It's it's Trevor Zegers plus, because I think if you're Montreal at this point in time, when you look at Nick Suzuki, if he's being asked to be part of that trade, Nick Suzuki probably has more value than Trevor Zegras does right now because he has a full rookie season under his belt where he put up over forty points. He's heading into his second season as is you know a, a top six player for the Montreal Canadiens. He's a bit more proven than Trevor Zegras is at this point. So if it's if it's Suzuki plus, it's Trevor Zegras plus plus likely from Anaheim. And at that point, mm-hmm. if it's more assets plus Trevor Zegras, it's just not worth it for me.
4: Now, in my opinion, and especially for the Ducks, like, I mean, yeah, the Ducks don't have amazing center depth, but moving forward after this season, I think Getzloff gets re-signed. And if you have your Henrique, your Steele, your Getzloff, you're not going to put uh, Zigris at center. You'll you'll keep uh, elite center number one as your center. So he's a winger. And we're dying for wingers to actually produce on this team. And if you can get someone that even comes close to producing what we think Zegras can, I'd be really happy if we could get Dubois. But at that point, you're just adding a fourth center in there. And now we still have nothing on the wings that we're dying to get some sort of winger that can produce Something of value because we're we're dying for that. So it just it didn't make any sense in my opinion for that. Although
3: I would love to have them, it just what we'd have to give up for them doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I uh, I think we the, you know what we came to consensus on the last pod was that you know if the deal revolved around like Ricard Raquel Sam Steele and you know a prospect <laughs> or a pick, you know whether it's a second round pick or a 2022 first, that's top ten protected. I think you, we're all a bit more comfortable with a trade like that where you're not having to give up, you know, a, a younger prospect at this point. And, and somebody made a point um, in, in the chat, too, you know, whether it's ironic or not, is, you know, if Zegris is the next Pierre-Luc Dubois, do you want to trade a 19-year-old Pierre-Luc Dubois for a 22-year-old Pierre-Luc Dubois? Like, I know we don't know what Trevor Zegres is at this point, but, yeah, I, I, I think if you're the Ducks, you, you should be more comfortable dealing assets that you're willing to get rid of at this point and you know Bob Murray's talked about before where you know the, the core of this team the young core of this team needs to perform or they're going to be you know on their way out and I think that you look at players like Ricard Raquel and potentially Hampus Lindholm and Cam Fowler and uh, Jakob Silverberg and those guys as guys you can potentially move and I think you can eventually start to put Sam Steele and Troy Terry and Max Jones as, as guys who are part of that young core as well and if they're not going to be a part of the future and you can bring in a player like Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think that's where you look at maybe packaging guys like Raquel and Steele and, and you know, some of the prospects not named, Jamie Drysdale and Trevor Zegers in, in a deal to get a guy <laughs> like Pierre-Luc Dubois.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think for me, like, if you look at the roster Columbus has, the thing about Columbus' roster is, like, they need guys right now. So, for me, you're looking at Raquel... And Lindholm or Manson and someone else, uh, you know, that you can send over there. So I think, I don't think Sam Steele is in that deal. I don't think it makes sense for anybody involved to put Sam Steele in that deal. You know, I think you're looking at a first round pick, probably a second or a third round pick, and two right now roster players. And, And, you know, I don't think that's a terrible deal per se, especially if you know, you're know you looking at Lindholm, Manson, and Raquel as three of your guys. Like Those guys have another year on their contract after this one, so they're especially valuable to a team like Columbus, who has a really hard time keeping guys in. So, you know, I don't think Sam Steele is a part of it. I think if they ask, they obviously give it to him because it's not a big deal. Um, but the thing is, you know, Okay. no no i've
4: said it though trade Derek grant because he'll come back to us after the season <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, no,
2: oh, no, he's no he's on the three, three deal, deal, deal. Now. he's got for he's three, got long-term it, time here
3: Ah, oh, the bob murray thing there's a deals. there's an interesting years. argument <laughs> going on in the chat right now about Trevor egress's <laughs> size and whether that is going to affect him at an the NHL level yeah because yeah, uh is
2: Trevor egress is not small he's six feet tall he's just slight he's 170 pounds he'll
3: What's McJesus? What's McJesus? Uh, I don't know. McDavid's six make, I mean, for I, one, I think.
2: I, I, I make them
4: wait. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have the skill set. I mean, you don't – yeah, Dubois is bigger and and it's skilled and at 22. But Zegers, you, you can't replace it. You can't replace it. You, like um, uh, Steven said, was like, you know, it's just – you have that knack for it and how you move your body whether or not you're a big guy or a small guy you adapt to whatever it is and if you're good you're good and you'll figure out a way to make that pass make that play happen and i, I don't care if he's he's not the biggest dude in the world he can avoid hits and if he doesn't have to be center he doesn't have to be a power forward he can be that Patrick Kane, you don't see Patrick Kane running around and you know hitting people, and he's not the biggest guy, he's not the heaviest guy, and if he's emulating that game, which I think he does a really good job of emulating that game, um, I think he's fine. I don't understand why there's such a, a big emphasis on he's not six foot four and he's not two hundred and twenty pounds. He's the
3: average size for a six foot player coming out of either junior or college. Um, I think the I'm getting those numbers from elite prospects. I would say he's probably closer to 175, 180. Just looking him, at, at looking at how he played at the World Juniors, he was a bit bigger than he was last year, which is I think just 19. Yeah, right? <laughs> which was which is where I think they're getting the 170 pounds. So I think right now he's probably six foot 175. His eventual playing weight in the NHL is probably going to be you know 180, 185. Maybe he pushes to 190. He'll be fine. Like he, he's the average size of an average NHL player, six foot, one hundred ninety. Like that will be his playing weight in the NHL. If he's a winger, he's more than fine. If he's a center, you know you yeah. can make your arguments that you know the average center is probably six foot, six foot one, maybe six foot two, and there's some exceptions like Sidney Crosby's five eleven, but he's Sidney Crosby, so you know th- he makes up for it with the, the immense level of, of talent that he has. But you know whether Trevor Zegers plays center or wing, I don't think size is ever going to be an what issue. What do you guys him.
4: think? What do you guys think he ends up playing for the Ducks? I think he plays wing. I don't think they, they want to put him in center and make him do that defensive responsibility and be, what, third best center in the in, on the lineup. They probably put him on the wing with somebody else. Yeah, I think
1: he's a winger. Yeah, 100%. I still say he's a center. He's He has the highest ceiling of any center in the system right now. Um, if, you you consider know, him a, if you consider him a center.
4: But, oh, like, in the world,
1: he played the wings. He has the highest ceiling of any prospect in the system, period. Okay. And I do think he's a center. Because the other thing is, is, I don't necessarily know with the change in hockey that you need your center to be a defender. Like, I don't think that's the thing that we're worried about. I think what you're looking at is you're putting him in a position to excel. You obviously want him to be able to be competent at defense, uh, but you can also play him with guys that can kind of help mitigate, especially the back. if he's playing on a team with John Gibson, that gives you a little bit of cushion too. So I don't think his defense is the issue. I think what it's about is finding ways to accentuate his skill set, which the Ducks just don't have. If he moves to wing, he moves to wing. I don't really necessarily have an issue with that. I do think mentally for me, I have pin center because I don't think his size is an issue in the new NHL. You know, like I said earlier, Brain Point's like five nine, man. And Brain Point kicks ass. So, I yeah, I I almost
4: yeah, I kind of agree with you because what I'm thinking out is like, hey, the Ducks get it, like the defense gets it, and they want to do a breakout. And if you can send it to the center and it's Trevor Segras, he can make an amazing forehand pass. He can make an amazing backhand pass. He can set up wingers. And because he's not the fastest guy, he doesn't have to be the guy that's streaking along the boards. He can be the guy that can kind of hang back, get that pass, make, observe what's happening, maybe be the last guy forward into the offensive zone. So I could see him being a center two.
3: All right, I just defeated my own purpose. So. Yeah, I, Honestly, for, for, for me, what it is, what will kind yeah. of tell the story on where Ziggas is going to play for the Ducks is how they utilize him in San Diego. Uh, we had this conversation on the last pod too, but if they put him at wing in San Diego where they're limited, I don't want to say limited, but they have opportunities to play him at center there. If they choose not to, I don't think he jumps into center when he makes the Ducks lineup. Honestly, the clearest path for him into the Ducks lineup is on the wing. You look at Will Juniors, He played left at BU. He played center. Um, you know, he with the US set up in in almost any level. He's played left just because of the talent level of centers that they've had, whether it be Jack Hughes or Alex Turcotte or Matthew Beniers or whoever it is. You know, he's had very talented two-way centers um, that have kind of beat him out for that. And he's versatile, so they've played him at the wing. But yeah, for for me, it's you know the telling point here will be. If they play him at center in San Diego, they see him as a center. The Ducks haven't been shy at playing prospects that they think are centers at centers. You know, Ricard Raquel was played at center until they said, okay, you're not a center, you're a winger, and they moved him to the wing. Isaac Lunderstrom, his first, you know, nine-game stint in the NHL, they played him at center. Right out of the draft, as an 18-year-old, they played him at center. You know, they are not, you know, Sam Steele played him at center. He only moved to the wing a couple times last season. Uh, with playing with Adam Henrique for a couple games, but he's been used at center. So, I, you know, I, I have full confidence that if the Ducks think he's a center, they'll play him at center. But if they think he's a winger, they're going to play and him at And they'll keep winger. him there.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing, um, you know, Getty played wing at World Juniors. Like, I, I don't think, like you said, you should That's
2: put
1: a into World Juniors because it's just a, We've got the twenty best kids that we can find right now, yep. and we are just going to find as many ways as we can to get them all on the ice. Um, but yeah, no, we said this last time. You said it right now, and I think it's one hundred percent true. We are going to know within four or five games of him being in the the AHL. What what they see him, as. they're not going to put him on the wing in the AHL. So we're going to know fast.
3: Let's kind of wrap up with this, um, Ben Hutton. Now. Normally I wouldn't have to wrap up with Ben Hutton because we know <laughs> we know he signed a PTO. Yeah, usually
4: usually you lead with
3: Ben Hutton. Well, but... <laughs> the, there was no news until Elite Prospects. <laughs> I don't know if they mistakenly tweeted out something today but uh he was on a PTO. We all thought he was going to sign and yeah. then Elite Prospects tweeted out something that he has moved from the under 16 Anaheim Lady Ducks to unknown. Um part of me <gasps> believes it's We're a Speaking making that too. <laughs> who knows? Did they just drop him off they, of that they, team? They skipped past San Diego and, and sent him down to the U sixteen Lady Ducks. Uh, honestly, I at the you know what I thought when I first saw that is it's a typo. They meant to type in Anaheim Ducks to unknown. Which when Ellie Prospects does that, that means he they've been released. Um, we've had yeah. no update from anywhere else. I think I saw one source that's not official tweet out that he has been released from King. his um, from his PTO. We haven't heard anything yet. I would assume we would hear something either tomorrow or before Saturday's game. It would be pretty surprising for me if he had been released because, you know, you lose Kristen Juice, it seemed like a reactionary signing to bring in Ben Hutton. And, you know, unless it's a Jake Dodson situation like it was in Tampa where he came to camp on a PTO and just looked completely out of shape and and whatever, and, and they released him. But still,
1: yeah, yeah. That was such a funny story. I was like, yeah, no.
3: Was- yeah, somebody points yeah. out he's still just in quarantine, <laughs> which could be. And, and like I said, we wouldn't even be talking about this if Elite Prospects didn't. <laughs> they just didn't put him on the Lady Ducks under 16. That, teams. and then, then I saw a couple people, like I said. Is he quarantining that, with them? Because that seems wrong, too. Yeah, I, and I, you know, somebody said Eric Stevens reported that as wrong, which I'm not surprised, but just the fact that they put that out, and then on a couple unofficial sources were like, yeah. "Yeah, no, he, he's been released." I was like, "I don't know about that. That'd be really weird," <laughs> especially in that fashion, in that setup. So you can put that up on the resume. So him coming in will be great. Um, not that he's going to make a huge difference, but I think he improves that bottom pairing over Larson and Hackenpaugh uh, by how much will you know will remain to be seen. But I think he's a, a slight Next upgrade. Cool. On both of those guys so and then hopefully at some point we see we see josh mahura too who i think will nail down a roster spot this year it just depends when he's given the chance
1: yeah i mean if it's gonna happen with mahura it's gonna happen soon and if it
3: doesn't happen this year he's getting traded uh, yeah. yeah potentially yeah Let's move on i mean you, on. You, there's a bit of a logjam with fowler and and Lindholm in front of him uh, but I'm not ready to move on from him, just like I wasn't ready to move on from Shea Theodore. So I want to I want to give him a bit more time to to prove himself because I'm like the the two stints he's had, he's done well. He's put up a decent amount of points for a defenseman in I think the 25 combined games he's played. He's looked solid for the Ducks. He just needs a longer run in. But it's hard when he's got you know Shattenkirk, Manson, Fowler, and Lindholm in front of him. I mean, there, there's not. Much room for him to to kind of break into the lineup, unless it is that that third pairing, which I still think he's better than the guys we're playing there right now. But you know, it's they got to do is outplay. easy yeah,
1: I think you're you're dead on right there because I, I do think that the problem, you know, I've been somewhat of a defender of this in the past, but I think ultimately when you look at the way Anaheim handles their players, they do kind of carve out the third pair and the fourth line as a traditional third pair and fourth line. And the thing, you know, with Mahura, and we saw this with last year with some of the younger kids where they weren't trying to play uh, Terry on the fourth line, so he just wasn't playing. Um, you know, if the organization is willing to kind of expand their idea of what a third pair <laughs>
4: That would mean self-actualization, and that doesn't happen in Anaheim.
1: But, you know, the idea of putting Josh Maher down there and having a third left-handed guy who can skate with the puck, because I do think, you know, I'm not as high on Maher as you are, but I do think that he has looked good in pieces when he's come up, and other times he's looked like a kid who hasn't had enough games to learn. Um, But this year is a great chance for him to come up and really just play low stakes games. So we'll see. Yeah. I feel
4: like this is kind of a, uh, just throw it all out there. You know, unless all of a sudden the ducks like get off to an amazing start. Hey, there's a chance we could actually make playoffs. We got to just be the top four. We got to be the number four because the top three are kind of set for the most part. If we can maybe have a shot at top four, maybe we kind of solidify it. Other than that, I'm completely fine. We get about halfway through this season, 20-odd games in. Just just throw it all out there, see who's going to play, who's going to make things happen next year because
3: I'm not high and mighty on this year either. So Yeah. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I think we'll see uh, you know, a few of these guys from the AHL get called up at some point this year just uh, with the sheer amount of games we have in, in such a short period of time. It's 56 games in 116 days. You're gonna see a lot of roster movement. Uh, let's wrap the show here. We're an hour and twenty-two in, which means it's two twenty-two a.m. here. So I think it's <laughs> I think it's about time uh, to wrap up the show. For anybody who came and this is your first time coming out to the show, welcome. You know, we're we're here after pretty much every game with the post-game show, except for back-to-backs. We cover the second game of the back-to-back. Um, if you know the. Somebody had mentioned earlier that we yes we do have five hosts uh, tonight. It was me, Pat, and Stephen on the or sorry me Jay and Stephen on the show. Oh uh, no, I, I, I'm Pat again.
4: I'm always freaking Pat. Uh, it never ends. Dave's gonna
3: laugh forever <laughs> on this. By the way, Pat couldn't make the show. He had some family stuff come up, and, and Keith. Pat number Keith one. Keith is uh, comes onto the show whenever you know whenever he has time to make it. He's pretty busy, but uh, you know we got the five of us who are routinely on the show throughout the season. And uh, if you like our content, we also have a Patreon where we record a couple uh, bonus episodes per month, cover more than just the Ducks there, look at, you know, NHL topics as a whole, as well as some of Jason's favorite questions about Canada, which usually get covered (laughs) on each show. Uh, So we do a Pucks and Brews show, which is, as it sounds, uh, mostly Pat and and Jay drink. But sometimes, sometimes I get involved.
4: Get the Canadian uh, go to that uh, what is it the beer store yes that's all you guys have if right I get
3: guilt tripped into it enough by by our page- patrons then I <laughs> I usually get involved New Year's Eve was was a good one uh, but yeah if you if you want you know if you enjoyed the show and you want to check out some more content we do have a Patreon okay. where we produce some bonus episodes there we will be back for Saturday's game against Vegas the way it's shaping up it will be me and Stephen on that show because I believe Jay you and Pat are watching the game with Dave. I think.
4: We, uh, yeah, well, we'll be with Dave and Jimmy. So okay. we'll be at Jimmy's house, and he's breaking out the fine stuff for
3: us. There you go. For uh, natural light, I believe. The Ducks first win of the season. Uh, for all of our returning <laughs> listeners, too, thank you for coming back out for the first game of the season. Uh, like I said before, we'll be back for pretty much every game this year. So we'll see you guys today. Thanks for coming out.